Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 149 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Dr. Ben Shabad, a mental health therapist and type 1 diabetic. Jesse, you have the win this week. All right. So my win this week is that I'm currently taking a summer course at Montana State. And so far, it's going really well. I'm getting A's and B's in it. And I'm really proud of myself because this is also a very hard general chemistry class that did not go over well the first time. So we're retaking it, which is totally fine. Anyways, it was kind of an adjustment because I do have to walk from off campus to on campus to the building that I have to go to. So definitely adjusting my blood sugars and what time I'm eating in the morning and of how many carbs has been quite the experience, but it's going really well. So yeah. And then what's our fail this week, Colleen? So my infusion site that I put on this morning on my right thigh must have hit something that it didn't like because now it feels like a bruise. So for the next like three days, I'll have a bruise just on my on my thigh. No big deal. It's not like I touch it or anything. <laughs> Jesse, what's the hack? So my hack is if you are going hiking or like planning on going somewhere by yourself out in the wilderness where you may not have cell phone reception is to pack a pre-planned bag of everything that you're going to need diabetic-wise or otherwise for up to three days. I mean, it's clearly different if you're going like on a day day hike and it's only like half a mile long and stuff like that. But at the same time, if you accidentally end up lost, it's better to be very much prepared than not prepared at all. And you're on a little reservoir, you don't have any snacks to last you and your pump site just fall off, like stuff like that. That's not good. So to avoid that, let's pack things that ensure our survival as diabetics on trails. As Professor Moody would say, constant vigilance. I am on a apparently a Harry Potter kick for the last couple episodes. In any case, here is our conversation with Ben. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I listen to your podcast a lot, um, and, I, and I think it's a really great resource for people who have type 1. So I appreciate you having me on. Well, it's great to hear. Thank you so much. Yeah, okay, so tell us who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Sure. So my name is Ben, Ben Shabad, and I'm a mental health therapist, and I work with um, children and adolescents and adults um, from all walks of life, not just uh, those with diabetes. But several of my clients do have diabetes, both type 1 and type 2. But I'm especially familiar with type 1 diabetes because I've had it pretty much my whole life. I was diagnosed at a young age and having grown up with type 1 diabetes, I understand firsthand how stressful and challenging and demanding it is to manage. 
So as a therapist, I'm able to combine my knowledge of diabetes and my training in psychotherapy to help clients overcome challenges and gain insight and perspective and to help them realize their goals so that they can live a more fulfilling and meaningful life. That's wonderful. I love that. So what is your diagnosis story? So you mentioned you're diagnosed young. Was there any particular kind of interesting story around that? Did you know anything about diabetes before then? So I yeah, I was diagnosed really lot, really young. Um, I was two or three. I don't know my exact age, but you know, my whole life, all I've known is diabetes. I do have type one diabetes in my family. One of my uncles has it. So it wasn't a total surprise to my parents. I think they were able to spot the warning signs early on. And uh, luckily for me, they were more familiar with the condition than I think other parents who don't know anyone with it or have never encountered it before. But the learning curve was still very steep. I was also really young. I was two years old. So uh, I totally get nothing else but type 1 diabetes in, in the life. Yeah, you can't remember anything uh, prior to that. Nope. I don't remember anything really before age six. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I think that that's, you know, it's, there, there are good things about that and bad things about that. You know, there's no real adjustment period because you've, you've been living that way your whole life. But, you know, there's something something to be gained from life without diabetes, you know, that you can remember. So, mm, I think, okay. Yeah. You know, so some people say it's better or worse to get diagnosed younger or older, but um, I think they both have advantages and disadvantages. I would agree with that. Although I do lean more towards the side of it's better to be diagnosed young just because of, I, I've talked to so many people where the adjustment period when they're much older is worse because they have that looking back and remembering what life was like when they were quote unquote normal and then wishing yep. they would go back to that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it seems like, at least in my experience, people who struggle a little bit more are people who are di diagnosed later in their life. And I don't know if it's because people who are diagnosed younger have a lot more support at the time of diagnosis with their parents. And so that's just part of the upbringing or, or what the case is. But um, I do find that people that struggle tend to be diagnosed later on. Yeah. Then there's also the idea where if even when you are diagnosed young, especially if you don't have that kind of support when you are in that period of your life, then you can like, have some kind of resentment towards it. And then when you grow up, it's like, I've had this for so long. I just, I hate it. I want to have a normal life. I want to be like everyone else. And so there, like, there are both sides of the same coin. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that hundred percent. It's, I mean, I'm trying to think of what, so you and I were both diagnosed really young, I'm trying to think of what the biggest the biggest downside to that would be versus getting diagnosed later on. Because I, I can think of a lot of reasons why it'd be more challenging to be living a normal life. And then all of a sudden you get diagnosed with diabetes. I mean, you kind of, you don't know life without a high level of stress, I think is one thing um, when you're diagnosed really, really young, right? You're always thinking about it, always making decisions. And, and if you're not old enough to do that yourself, like when you're two, three, four, then you see other people struggling with that around you. And so that, that can have an impact too. I can see one of the downsides being the insane amount of stress put on the parents. Because yeah. especially like nowadays you have the CGM so that you can see your kid's blood sugar like in the middle of the night. But my mom had to get up two, three times every night just to check my blood sugar. And that stressed her out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, did you have diabetes in your family? Nope. I'm the only one. You're the only one. Okay. Okay. So uh, your mom had to figure out a lot then probably to, to help you and support oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, both my parents did. 
my mom was the one who did the middle of the night uh, blood sugar checks, but my dad took me to diabetes camp when I was old enough. Okay. Okay. And I mean, I guess the one thing that, you know, if you don't have diabetes in your family, then neither parent, you know, sometimes what happens is if diabetes is on one side of the family, that parent can feel a lot of guilt because the the child grows up with it. And so, you know, sometimes the, you know, the individual with diabetes will grow up feeling guilty towards that parent for making them feel guilty. You know, it's a back and forth kind of, kind of a dynamic there. So that can be challenging too. So you probably didn't have much of that in your family. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. No, but we did find out actually after my dad passed away that autoimmune runs in his side of the family. So Uh almost everybody on my dad's side has some kind of autoimmune problem and I just landed with type one diabetes. So now it just makes so much more sense, but I still don't have another diabetic in my family that I could talk to. Okay. Right. But are you, are you plugged into any, any uh, networks or communities of diabetics? Of course, through this podcast, through Facebook, through the internet, it's, and, and through the camp that I went to, um, my co-host, Jesse, I met her at diabetes camp. Okay, great. So you, yeah, you're, you're able to touch base with other people going through the same stuff. Oh yeah. Okay. Kind of switching gears a little bit. This is an interesting question because so many people find half of it really hard to answer. What are your favorite and least favorite things about type one diabetes? Yeah, that's tough. You know, as a kid, I would probably have said that my favorite thing is, you know, getting to eat ice cream when my blood sugar is low. <laughs> you kind of find the silver linings when you're dealing with something like type 1 diabetes. As an adult, though, I think there are things that I can appreciate and that I've learned through having diabetes that I couldn't necessarily when I was younger. I definitely think that because diabetes poses so many challenges, it can also help a person become more resilient. And that's one of the things that it's done for me. So when you're constantly battling something and improving and figuring it out, you become stronger, generally speaking. But but I also think it's kind of a double-edged sword because it's, you know, having type 1, it's a battle that can never fully be won. And so my favorite and least favorite thing, you know, if you want to call it that, are kind of two sides of the same coin. I guess for me, diabetes has forced me to be, you know, physically healthier than I probably would have been without it because I'm careful about what I eat, my exercise regimen. It also makes me a more self-aware individual. I don't know if you find that, but to yourself, it's hard to not be very self-aware when you, when you grow up with type one diabetes, I'd imagine. But, you know, I say self-aware because with diabetes, you become very cognizant of all the environmental factors that can impact your brain and your body and how those things affect you in various ways. So everything from food to stress to anxiety, different times of the day, everything that you put in your body, you kind of become acutely aware of how they impact you. And on a level that I think people who are not forced to reckon with that probably wouldn't develop. You know, and then, and then most of all in my life, it's guided me in terms of my career path because having had the lived experience of growing up with type one diabetes, like I said in the beginning, I'm able to use many of the strategies I've learned to overcome difficulties and stressors in my own life so that I can, and now I can use that, you know, to help other people who are struggling or need guidance as well. And so that's been a really good, good outcome. On the subject of how many things affect our blood sugar. I like describing it as we have to treat diabetes as insanity. We do the same thing over and over again, and we have to expect different results. That's a good way to look at it. And, uh, and it's tough. It's tough to cope with that. That's something that can be really challenging to, um, to come to terms with. 
you know, because it's not, and especially again, for people that don't have type one diabetes, it's hard to understand how you could, you know, I think that the mentality is, you know, just give yourself the right amount of medication, just eat the right amount of food and then things are hunky dory, but it doesn't work like that. Yeah, we expect things to be linear. We expect things to be routine and rote. And as soon as something steps outside of that, they're like, why? Right, (laughs) right. Diabetes. Exactly. And that's, um, I find, especially with, I mean, definitely in my own life, but with clients, that's one of the biggest struggles. It's, um, it's the lack of predictability, despite, you know, all your efforts to, to be consistent and, and do you do what you're supposed to do. You just can't, can't get it right every time. And that, that can be really frustrating. Yeah. Some of the things that kind of help though with that are the tech. So like insulin pumps, CGMs, before we started recording, you had a pump alarm go off. Yeah, so tell yeah. me what, what do you use to manage your diabetes? Yeah. So the, the tech has been, the advances in technology, I should say, have, have been just been huge in terms of helping people manage the disease because, um, when I was growing up, what you were describing too, you know, it's constant blood sugar testing, pricking your fingers. And, you know, it, it didn't even seem inaccurate, not the right word, but you were still kind of guessing, you know, because you're not going to test yourself 200 times a day or however many readings you get from the CGM. You just can't test yourself that much. And so you don't see these patterns. You don't see the direction that the blood sugar is moving. But before the technology, you also don't realize all the things you're missing out on, you know, which is probably how people felt before the the glucose monitor that you and I were used to came out. But now with this new technology, it's amazing how you can track your blood sugar. So yeah, I use a CGM. I think it's fantastic. It's definitely not perfect. And sometimes it'll, it'll, for example, say that your blood sugar is moving up very quickly when in fact it's not. And then, you know, as soon as you take some insulin, you realize it kind of peters out and, and the line flattens and that can be frustrating, but it's come so far and it's such a, uh, such a huge help. Uh, in terms of managing diabetes. And so I use a CGM. I don't use an insulin pump. I know a lot of people with type 1 diabetes do use that. I used it for a short period of time, I think when I was in high school, but I didn't find it to be as efficient and helpful as it was described to be. Now, that was years ago, and and I've been out of high school for a while. So, you know, I've I've heard things have improved a lot. I've, I've read about them. And so I'd consider going back to it. But just because I'm so used to the syringes and and my blood sugar has been under pretty good control with it. I'm, I'm hesitant to switch gears. See, I was going to guess you were on Omnipod. Okay. I seem like an Omnipod kind of guy. Well, it was the the sound of the alarm. I don't usually hear that with Medtronic or Tandem. And so I was like, oh, that sounds like it might be an Omnipod PDM, but I can't be sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Just the, uh, just the G6. Okay. Yeah. And man, I'm not used to the, just the straight receiver wailing at us anymore. It's all on my, on my tandem pump, but along the lines of like pumps giving you or or giving yourself insulin when you're going up and then it's actually leveling off. My pump will do that where it gives me an auto correct because it's on the control IQ technology and it'll give me an auto correct when it really shouldn't. (laughs) So it automatically (laughs) delivers insulin to you based on where your number's at. Yep. And it'll do it based on the angle of the arrow so it yeah. might give me more when it's going straight up and then it starts this nice cycle of ups and downs. And I'm just like, yeah. please don't. <laughs> yeah, that, that up and down, that's, um, that's no fun. That, that's one of, that's another very challenging aspect of diabetes that, uh, the technology hasn't fully corrected for yet. I'm hoping for the artificial pancreas or whatever they're calling it down the line where you, it gives you both the glucagon 
and the insulin in the same device so that okay. you have, I don't think it'll be one site. It would probably be two sites so that you have one for each. And then it, it's actually a true closed loop system. Oh, that's fantastic. And then obviously you have control to turn it off if you need to, or it would it not even probably. Like, okay. Okay. I think in, in the trials that I've seen, uh, people completely forget to check it just because the alarms like don't go off because they're in range the whole time. And so it's working as described, but those are also controlled environments. So I'm yeah. not entirely sure how it's going to work in the real world. I'm most excited about some of this new stem cell research that's coming out. I shouldn't say, I mean, it's not brand new, but you know, where they're talking about taking your own stem cells and, and somehow getting your body to not reject them. Obviously, that's the biggest uh, hurdle right now. But to me, there's there's a lot of promise there. And, and the possibility of that is the most exciting to me because because it's, it's an actual, you know, functioning pancreas. And so I hopefully, hopefully they can, you know, I, I don't know how you feel, but they've been saying there that it's right around the corner of the cure, you know, my whole life. <laughs> since I know. I was old, they're like, just a couple more years. And so um, I, I've been a little discouraged, but I, but I try to stay optimistic and, and, you know, I follow the research pretty closely and it sounds like it might not be that far off. And so um, I, I try to stay hopeful about that. It's like, be excited, but also temper that with the reality that they've said for the, well, it'll be cured in the next five years for the last 50 years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, like, I, I mean, cancer treatments, like things have come, have come so far and, and, uh, and sometimes you just land on, you know, these scientists just land on things that work. And so you, uh, you hope something will come like that for diabetes. Yeah. Kind of, so kind of talking about how, these things affect our mental health. How would you say, like, what does burnout mean to you? We talk a lot about burnout as with diabetes, but there's a, kind of a fine line between burnout and diabetes distress and just feeling like you're stressed out with diabetes. So how yeah. would you define burnout? Yeah, I mean, you know, burnout can look different for different people. But to me, it's it's when the stress of living with diabetes, all the effort, all the planning, all the calculating, all the inevitable failures becomes too much and people get so drained that I think they want to give up because diabetes isn't something where you can see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. So the thought of having to manage that situation forever can seem overwhelming. It's, it's too much of a burden. And that's when we see burnout, which, you know, can, can uh, result in grossly mismanaged blood sugars, feelings of anxiety, depression, hopelessness. And so, yeah, that's, that's to me what, what burnout is, where, where, where you really just can't, can't handle that anymore. What advice do you have for uh, people with diabetes who are feeling burnt out? You know, this is another thing where, you know, everybody's different. So each person's approach is going to be kind of individualized. But that being said, type 1 diabetes is not an easy disease to live with, as you know, and it's a marathon. And so generally speaking, you know, I would say don't be so hard on yourself give yourself breaks, cut yourself some slack. Some of this is going to be out of your control. And so you can't blame yourself for things that you can't control. So allow yourself some wiggle room. Uh, you know, Don't be too rigid. Don't have too much of a perfectionist mentality with respect to your diabetes management. Know what kind of things help you de-stress, you know, what coping strategies work for you, whether it's listening to music or exercising or watching TV, talking with friends or family or a therapist and make sure you're doing those things regularly to help, you know, kind of counterbalance the stress um, that you're living with. You know, and I really stress that last point of talking to somebody, 
diabetes is going to stir up a lot of feelings and emotions and um, internal dialogue. And it's good to talk to somebody about how you're feeling rather than just hold it all inside. Like I think a lot of people do, unfortunately. Sometimes people with type 1 diabetes don't like feeling, I think, so uh, so reliant or dependent on other people. So learning how to cope with that is is really important for dealing with mental stress. I think that kind of answered the next question, which is how's your like what's your approach to mental health with type 1 diabetes? Because you are a therapist for people with it. So is there anything like more you would add to that? I mean, you know, when I when I work with clients who are experiencing high levels of stress from their diabetes, I like to understand, you know, which aspects of the diabetes are particularly challenging for them and the impact it's having on their life. Is it feeling bogged down from the physical symptoms of having high, low blood sugars, that roller coaster you and I were talking about before? Is it feeling a lack of control over your life? Is it feeling shame or guilt? Are there issues about dependency? Are there elements of trauma? And how is the diabetes impacting certain areas of your life, your relationships, your work, your school, your family? How is the diabetes tied into your identity? Because diabetes spills over into all areas of your life. And it causes secondary stressors, you know, when it impacts your mood and your attitude and your thinking, your ability to function in certain realms, such as the ones that I just mentioned. So I first really like to figure out the need by understanding where the stress is emanating from. And then we talk through it and try to help keep things in perspective, think through things rationally, create a course of action that's that's in line with the client's overall goals. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges mental health-wise that you see type 1 diabetics face? You know, I think some of the common themes that I see are, are depression and, and anxiety, having a, a low locus of control, so not feeling like you have control over a lot of the events in your life, eating disorders, body image issues, feeling defeated, a, a lack of independence, feeling like that there has to be a, a excessive restrictions in your life. And also a sense that other people don't recognize, you know, the effort that is required by them to manage their diabetes because diabetes is a stressful 24 seven, uh, you know, job. So it takes a lot of discipline, both in the mind and in the body to do it successfully. That's a really good point. And my, my book editor it likes to say that uh, I'm the most disciplined person that she knows. And I would probably have to attribute most of that to having type one diabetes. <laughs> Yeah. You don't have a choice, right? You don't have a choice. It's not something you can just neglect. You know, it's it's not, again, I think sometimes people without type 1 diabetes equated to like going on a diet or something, you know, and if things, if you start eating some pizza during the day or some ice cream, well, I, I had some bad stuff during the day. I'll just start my diet tomorrow. And it doesn't work like that with diabetes. You can't stop even for a second managing it. Um, it doesn't just go away. You continue to can't you, it's not like a diet where you just decide I'm going to think about it tomorrow, right? Because it impacts the way you feel and think and and, and your mood and and you can't ignore it. And and so you really can't take any time off. And so that's that's why it requires so much discipline to um, to get it done. You know, that it makes me wonder if a lot of those assumptions about type ones stem from people misunderstanding that there are two types. And so when most people think or hear uh, like diabetes, they think type two. And so then it's automatically, oh, they did that to themselves. All, if they just change their diet and their exercise, then they'll fix it. But no, <laughs> listeners, right. 5% of diabetes is type one. You're, it's almost unfortunate that they have the same name, right? That they're both called diabetes because, yeah, they're, they're such different diseases. 
yeah. such different diseases. And um, the course of action you take is, you know, what people attribute, I think, more to, to uh, what, I, what I was just talking about applies more realistically to type 2 diabetes, you know, but for type 1, it's not like that where your pancreas doesn't work at all. And you have to man. I mean, you're managing an organ in your body <laughs> externally. And it's just uh, people take that for granted when they don't have to do that. And so do you use any of your professional tools on yourself to handle your own mental health? Yeah, absolutely. I, you and I both were diagnosed young. So we've had a lot of time since we've had diabetes, since we were diagnosed at such a young age to figure out what works best. Or I'll speak for myself, you know, for what works best for me. So I know that I need to, you know, from a mental health standpoint, check in with myself a lot, you know, the same way I would for a client. So asking myself how things are going, how I'm feeling, you know, what's, what's that negative or critical thought about that I'm, that I'm hearing right now, et cetera. And if I'm feeling stressed or uneasy, I spend some time listening to myself and figuring out why. And I know that exercising regularly is important in terms of my physical and my mental health. Spending time with my family and my friends is something I enjoy that usually helps improve my mood. I listen to a lot of music. I watch a lot of shows. Sleep is a huge factor for me when it comes to my mental health. So I really try to prioritize my sleep and ensure, uh, you know, when I can that I'm feeling well rested so that I'm thinking clearly, making healthy decisions not being too impulsive with my decisions in terms of insulin delivery and eating, which can be very problematic with type 1. One of the things that gets me the most stressed these days are when my blood sugar is swinging back and forth, what we were talking about, that roller coaster, and I, and I just feel like I can't get a grip. And I think I've been better recently when I'm correcting to do it gradually, to gradually increase my sugar for lows and gradually increase my insulin for highs to prevent that overcorrection. So I remind myself to use self-control and that it's better to come down in range gradually and accurately instead of quickly and chaotically. And I also let myself know that, you know, even if I don't get it right today, tomorrow's another day, things will get back on track. I try to stay optimistic and steer clear of that, the hopeless thinking that it's really easy to fall into that when you're stressed and it's easy to get down on yourself. So you have to have the right, the right frame of mind and, and be able to get back on track when you've fallen off. I love what you said about uh, making small corrections. That's like I call that the the law of small numbers, and I actually got that from Dr. Richard Bernstein's book, The Diabetes Solution, where you correct small to have small changes on either yeah. side. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I read that book too, and, and I reference it a lot. You know, it's uh, the less insulin you're giving yourself, then the less the less room for error there is. You know, it's it's as simple as that, and it's. So anytime you can have less carbohydrates, give yourself less insulin, there's just going to be less, less guesswork, less room for error. And so doing things, but, but even with that, you know, your blood sugars do get too high, too low. And, um, I think in the past, you know, and I figured this out more end of college, graduate school, but in the past, I would just try to, uh, you know, quickly take, take a lot of insulin to bring it down or quickly have a lot of sugar to bring it up. And man, that roller coaster starts. And then, uh, you know, that you, you kill the rest of your day, you kill the rest of your day with that. So learning how to uh, have the discipline to just do it gradually, even though, because you know what happens is when you take too much, when you take the more insulin you take, the faster it gets into your system. And so if you're only taking small amounts, one or two units, it takes longer. You don't see the results as quickly. And so you're tempted to give yourself more. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know about that. Yeah. And so that's, um, it's something to definitely be aware of. 
yeah, I still definitely succumb to rage bolusing and bolus stacking. So that leads me to my next question of what's your knee-jerk reaction to unexpected highs and lows and how do you handle those? Yeah, you know, like I was just saying, I think in the past, my goal was to, to get my blood sugars back in range as quickly as possible. And then, you know, you combine that with a little bit of impulsivity and, and anger and frustration at myself for, for letting it get too high or too low, I would often overcorrect. But now, like I said, I'm much better at staying calm and not overreacting and, and thinking long term, staying focused on my goal and really just not letting my emotions get the best of me. And, and, and I'm not perfect at it, you know, but, um, but I think in general, I, I've become a lot better than that. And when I do that, you know, I'm able to make healthier and more sensible decisions for myself. So it's, it's so definitely it, improved with age. It sounds like you have trained yourself for the knee-jerk reaction to be much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, it took so much long. Having diagnosed when I was two or three, it took way longer to figure that out than you would you would think it should. But that's just the case. I mean, I've had it for almost 27 years and I'm just figuring that out in the last like three years. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you and I are on a similar time timeline there. Yep. Yeah. Well, it, it like figuring that out started when I uh, learned what life coaching was. Okay. <laughs> and okay. that's, that's what led to figuring out that diabetes is not actually the reason I feel like crap. It's the way I'm thinking about it. And so when I train myself to like knowing the moment that if I make this decision and it's a bad decision, that I'm going to feel worse later. But I have no one to blame but me. I can't blame the diabetes. 100%. And the other factor for me, I don't know if you experienced that, is that I think when I was younger, the roller coasters, they were bad in the moment, but I didn't feel as bad the next day I could recover very quickly. You know, Similar to how people talk about a hangover when as you get older, they impact you a lot more. The same is true for me for, for the blood sugar ups and, ups and downs. If I have, a, if I have uh, even a few hours of up and down blood sugar, you know, that, that takes a toll on me for the rest of the day. And I think when I was younger, I, I could bounce back a lot quicker, quicker. And so it kind of forced me to take a new course of action. I think for me, having a diet change helped with that. Because when, when I was younger, because I grew up on the standard American diet, like high carb. And of course, yeah. my parents had no idea what it was actually doing to my blood sugar. So I think being used to that, it just made it so normal to be, like you said, you recover really quickly. But now, because I'm on low carb, if I do something where my blood sugar is really high and then really low, I will feel it like for yes. a, for a couple of days. Yeah, I'm I'm in the exact same boat, and it's not it's not worth it, is what it comes down to, you know. So you you have to make some changes because you don't want to feel like crap. I know uh, it's like when when you walk by the donut in the office and be like, I know what that's going to do to my blood sugar. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you force yourself to be disciplined. It's, uh, you know, you know, one of the strategies that I use with some of my clients is, is exactly what you just said. It's, it's thinking long term. You have to think past that five, 10 seconds or, or one minute, two minutes of like the deliciousness of the donut. And, you know, get, really it's, it's a habit thing though, because you, people can be so impulsive and just say, I need that. I want that. You have the sugar craving. It's there. It's convenient. Um, but if you just take a second to stop yourself and just say, wait a minute, you know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to forego these couple minutes of pleasure for feeling great the rest of the night. And on the other side of it, I have totally 100% made the conscious decision to eat the donut and then just accept that I'm going to be high later. Absolutely. And if that's, yes, if, if that's the decision that you've decided, you know, having thought through it, that's totally fine. You know, it's not, you don't have to restrict yourself from everything delicious all the time. That's not, that's not a good life either. 
it's just knowing it's it's more about not being so impulsive and knowing what you're getting getting yourself into. I have like the perfect example. I went on a road trip to Austin, Texas at the beginning of April. And while I was there, I got to go to the food trucks on Rainy, Rainy oh, Street. And one of them in your recent episodes. Okay. Yeah, it was my solo road trip one. But yeah. like when I was there at the at the food trucks, there was a Greek place and it wasn't it was a shawarma place. And so I was like, I have to get shawarma. And they had baklava, of course. Yeah. And I love baklava. And so I got baklava. And I intentionally like decided how much I'm going to bolus for this, knowing I have to walk around later. And I don't think I went above 160 or 180, but that was like total. I made a decision and I planned it out, even though it was a decision in the moment. I was thinking yeah. through how is this going to affect me later. And, and that's exactly what you need to do. And, and you know, because even because you also realize, like we were talking about earlier, even if you make the, the quote unquote right decision, you know, it, that still could send you, <laughs> you know, send you high, or, or if you're going to walk after, you might might end up low. And so, you know, it's just being being aware and thinking through your decisions, which people don't always like to do. You know, it's it takes effort and being willing to experiment. So learning from everything that you're doing, and not just like letting it go to the ether, but writing it down, taking note, finding out what worked, what didn't, and what to try, what to try different next time. Even if it's yeah. going to be like insane, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Right. If, and if you look at it, it's also easier to manage that just psychologically. If you, if you look at your, cause what you're doing is kind of looking at the upside of it, right? And it, you know, things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to, but what can I take away from it for next time? And I think that's a really good and healthy mentality to have. That's how I'm figuring out hiking is I'm just using what I learned from the past hike to apply it to the next one. And so I finally figured out that if I completely stop all insulin for the entire hike, plus like half hour on either side or half hour at the beginning, then I'm going to bottom out at a low, but I'm not going to go like really, really low to a crash. Yeah, right. There you go. Um, And that's not, that's not going to work for everybody. So everybody don't just use my hiking technique. You got to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but again, it's that mentality of, of figuring it out and improving for the future because it's so easy to get bogged down and think, you know, this this sucks and it's not going to get any better. Maybe I should just stop hiking altogether, you know, or you start feeling really bad for yourself, which again is really easy to do when you're struggling with something nonstop and you feel like you're doing all the right things and making all the right moves. So you really have to stay. How, how do you do it? How, how do you stay so optimistic? I hundred percent attribute it to being coached and learning life coaching. And okay. what you were saying right there is like actually stopping hiking because of all those things. I did. I just, I completely stopped going on hikes because I got so tired of feeling like crap when I got to the trailhead and seeing a low blood sugar or a high blood sugar and then thinking, well, I can't do this now. Yeah. And like, I just wasted my day or my morning trying to go hike when diabetes just ruined it. And yep. so it was going through the coaching process and learning how to coach people and how to coach myself and get out of the mindset that diabetes is the problem and yeah. understand that it's really my thoughts about the diabetes that are the problem. And I can change how I think about it, or I can choose to think the crappy thoughts on purpose. Yeah, that's a great way to frame it. I mean, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly it. You know, you have to realize a little bit that everybody has their own challenges in life. You know, diabetes is a bad one. That's something, you know, it's, uh, it, it poses a unique set of challenges, but in everybody's life, they have their own obstacles. And so life's all about figuring out what your obstacles are and how to overcome those obstacles. Right. And, and it might take more or less effort than other people's. And, and, um, 
But in order for you to live a fulfilling life, you gotta, you gotta figure out what yours are and how to handle your situation best. So you, it sounds like you've done a really good job in figuring that out for yourself. Thank you. I take pride in that. Yeah. Why do you think it's taken so long for mental health and type one diabetes to get, get to actually like get attention? Cause I've noticed it in the last few years that it's just now starting to kind of take off when all of us type one diabetics are like, this was kind of important the whole time. Yeah, I, th- I mean, you know, that's, I don't think it just has to do with diabetes so much. I think in general in society, mental health in general, I should say, um, is gaining a lot more traction in recent years. In the past, I think there was much more of a stigma attached to mental health. So people weren't as willing to uh, let others know if they were struggling, seek support for themselves. But now people are finally starting to realize how important mental health is to a person's well-being. Um, so they're more willing to talk about it, research it more. So these conversations and the recognition have kind of come out of the darkness and into the light and people are starting to pay more attention and and recognizing their significance. So it's finally starting to get a lot more focus and attention than it had in the past. And then with diabetes in particular, I think diabetics themselves have always known about how stressful and how much of a mental toll it takes to live with and manage. But for other people who don't have it or don't live with somebody who has it, the mental health burdens uh, are more invisible to them because there's no way to see that a person who is a type 1 diabetic is every second of the day thinking about and making very high stakes decisions that they don't ever have to concern themselves with. So there's a huge mental burden on people who have type 1. And now I think more people are recognizing that and, and the word's getting out and people are less afraid to talk about it and confront it, which is a really big step in the right direction. And, and, you know, there's a lot of organizations such as JDRF, ADA, College Diabetes Network that are doing a, a really great job of spreading the word as well. What would be one practical tip that our listeners can try today to help improve their mental health with type 1 diabetes? So, you know, not to be redundant, but you got to know yourself and, um, and what strategies help when you are stressed out or going through a tough time you've got to be really proactive and not just reactive. So you don't want to just be implementing strategies that are helpful once you're feeling bad, but you want to be doing them regularly to increase the feel-good chemicals in your brain, to enhance your level of um, contentedness. So you want to be spending time outside, getting some exercise, um, getting together with friends, listening to music, and don't try to be too much of a perfectionist. I think a lot of people with diabetes can fall into that loop and that can be really challenging to break out of. So give yourself some wiggle room. You know, don't beat yourself up too much for making mistakes. There's always next time. And kind of like what you were describing, if you have a bad experience, figure out what you did wrong, what could have been done differently and do it the next time, you know, make, make the future better. So, you know, those, those are some general strategies that can be, that can be used. Thank you for sharing those. Yeah. So this is a question that I, we haven't asked any of our past guests this question, but I, I think I want to start asking our guests. And that is, do you have a book recommendation for our listeners? You know, when it, when it comes to diabetes books, the one that you mentioned is great. The Diabetes Solution, I think it was called, Dr. Bernstein's. I, I refer to that book all the time. I think I've read it from cover to cover twice, um, even though it's a pretty thick book. You know, it's, it's written really well by, by a well-known doctor in the field. He offers some really good tips and tricks for diabetes care. And you know what you and I were talking about, the law of small numbers. I found that to be so helpful and insightful that I, you know, I also, he, he does, by the way, a, I think it's a once a month podcast or something on YouTube. I, I, I went a while back 
where he actually takes questions from viewers and responds to them on on air. And so it's really cool and, and a good learning experience. And so I'm a big fan of that book and the doctor himself. And he's in his 80s, too. Yeah. Yep. And and he's had diabetes his whole life, you know, and, and he, you know, we were talking about technology and, and what's obsolete now, you know, he had, um, he had nothing when he was growing up. It was just the urine strips to, to give you a very general idea of those, you know, high, very high, low. And so he, he like developed, I think he, if I remember correctly, he was an engineer to start off and he actually developed some some of these mo- or one of the monitors and started collecting his own data by testing himself you know a million times a day and um and at that time i think they were saying that the 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 average glucose for somebody without type 1 was like significantly higher at least according to him than it actually was and so he started testing the blood sugar of all these like marketing people that would come in and he realized that i think he said 83 was the number that like, you know, most people were at most of the time. And so, you know, which, which was lower than, than they had originally thought, if I'm remembering that correctly. So, so I think that's a really good book if you're looking for something diabetes related. If you're looking for something unrelated to diabetes, unrelated to psychology at all, I would say I just got done with a really good book called uh, Rabbit Run by John Updike. He's a really good author, so I usually enjoy his books. So that's one of them. I also uh, enjoy reading a lot about evolutionary psychology, just kind of a thing for me. So there's a good book I read recently called The Red Queen by Matt Ridley. So if you're interested in that topic, it might be fun to check out. Cool. We'll link to all of those books in the show notes. Oh, cool. As we wrap up, do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you're really excited about? You know, no... Um... I've been working on my website a lot, actually. That's a big project. And I got to say, I have a lot more respect now for web designers because that stuff is not easy. <laughs> um, Can confirm, not easy. Not easy at all. So, so it was a task I decided I was going to take on by myself on my own. And um, it's proven to be a lot more difficult. So right now, my website is not functioning. It's, there's a temporary hold on it. <laughs> so I've been trying to figure this out on my own. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts for. But I've been spending a good amount of time doing that. And hopefully, it'll all be good and, and up and running soon. But that's been my project at the moment. Okay. So while people are waiting for your website to come online, where can people actually connect with you if they want to talk more? I think the best way probably to connect with me would be through Psychology Today. If you just type in my name, my last name is Shabad, S-H-A-B-A-D. You can also find me on the ADA Mental Health Providers page. And my phone number, my work phone number is 872 872- Two four six seven two six three. So any of those ways, um, if people want to reach out and you know either ask me questions or inquire about therapy, I think those are all good avenues. All right, we will link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you again for coming onto the show to talk about mental health. No problem. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, and our question for you guys this week is: What part of Ben's interview resonated the most with you? Let us know in the comments on Instagram or in our show notes. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Ben for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 149. That's the number 149. Apply to be a guest by visiting thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. Do you want my four steps to feeling better with type 1 diabetes without changing anything about how you manage it? Head over to inspiredforward.com slash four dash steps. And that's the number four dash steps to get your free guide. I'm on all social media as at inspired forward. 
And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And our podcast Instagram is this is type one pod. That's the number one in case you do look us up. I'm personally on Instagram as at JJ underscore crystal KAT. So please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type one diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out, please make sure you let me know you're a listener. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type one diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.